0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars show. Who is that on the other line? Graham Goodwin. Graham Goodwin. (laughs) Sitting in isolation for the I don't know how many of day and he's really freaking sick and tired of it. But that's what happens when you're a commentator on international endurance racing
1: (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, hello, hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to my pain. Uh, Yes, it is. I think this might be our 12th, 13th period of self-isolation. It's getting pretty old now. What are you doing? It's getting pretty old. What Uh, what are
0: you doing that requires isolation? I mean, you know, that doesn't conjure good ideas. What alleys are you finding where you go, Goodwin?
1: I I wish that were true. Now, the the answer here is we're now in this kind of ridiculous situation where – Going from a my COVID safe environment, uh, which is occupied by myself, my COVID safe wife, mm. and my COVID safe husky, um, uh, to another COVID safe location, because increasingly uh, we're seeing more sophisticated systems being put in by international race meetings, and back. Um, and coming into a country where basically more or less everything's open now. But apparently I'm the biggest health risk. I don't quite get it. Um, it is getting a bit old. I'm not going to moan about it because I know a lot of people would like to be doing the things that I'm doing. But it is good to be home, uh, albeit just for another week or so before we get into the next phase of operation fill-out forms and have things stuck up your nose, uh, which is the Red Bull Ring. We've turned there for the European Le Mans series for the first time in three years. Looking forward to that. Hopefully, schnitzel will be available at some point. Um, but... Uh, well, since you and I uh, last sat down and recorded, boy, oh boy, there's been some goings on, haven't there, MP?
0: Oh, yes. We could probably spend the next hour and a half or so talking about just that without getting to questions, but we wouldn't do that to our dear listeners. couple of quick things to mention. Sad to have learned uh, waking up Monday morning that a dear friend... Also, a delightful friend to our show, Bobby Unser, uh, passed. And had known that Uncle Bobby was in a bad way for quite some time. Was very thankful and fortunate to get on the phone with, uh, with Bobby a couple months ago. And I knew when I called, it was a farewell call. Very happy, obviously, that he was able to live longer. But I called knowing that uh, we just did not expect Uncle Bobby to be with us that much longer. And typical Bobby Unser fashion gram. Couldn't get him off the phone. All he wanted (laughs) to do was talk racing. And I don't mean a little bit. I mean, I thought we were saying goodbye to end the call probably four times. Four different times, and he went, went. And hey, what about this thing here? And it, just classic Uncle Bobby. Uh, no, this is a sports car show. I would say he's most heavily, as, well, but most heavily associated with Pikes Peak, right? King of the Mountain, IndyCar, obviously three-time Indy 500 winner. If you do look at his CV, you will find uh a, a light smattering of sports car content in there. Um some pretty interesting stuff. He was part of the original, I don't there was never really a follow up. The uh uh that crazy Jaguar XJ220 series, the Fast Masters oh, wow. that yes. we had here, yes. right? He was the man. He was the man in that uh raced at the 24 Hours of Daytona in 1991 in a all Unser Porsche 962, Jochen racing. Some of you might remember that livery. Um, so, yeah, got to race with uh, his son, Robbie, there as well. So, anyways, long story short, Uncle Bobby's career was very, very lightly associated with sports cars, but one of the great all-rounders. Setting world speed record at Talladega in a frickin' Audi 5000 Quattro, whatever it is, just crazy crazy guy but so thankful to have known him graham and to have had him uh brought forth a little bit here on the show from time to time hey there's a guy i don't know if you've heard of him robert wickens uh not too bad uh has had a bit of a rough couple of years uh if you weren't a ball of tears on tuesday after he climbed into a race car for the first time since uh losing full control of his lower body uh after that horrid IndyCar crash in uh, 2018 in Pocono, uh, for him to fight back, not all the way back, but for him to fight back, uh, to get into the cockpit, use hand controls and Michael Johnson's Brian Herta auto sport, Hyundai Veloster and TCR at mid Ohio. Ah, uh, between that, between some guy, don't know if you've heard about him, Roger Penske. I don't know. Yes. And, and, uh, you're talking about, uh, I think, uh, German-based sausage, uh, some company named Porker. I don't know. Rumor yes. that something happened there. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. So let's do this. Say big thank you, as uh, always, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and torontomotorsports.com. By the way, dear listeners, on Saturday, it's the fifth anniversary of this stupid podcast. Um, I know. Graham, where should we go first to rip through our categories? I know where I want to go, but let's hear where you want to go.
1: I think we will go, Wick, Aslams, Elms, and Aco. And if the first question is what I think it's going to be, I'm going to beg your indulgence, MP, to just pause for a quick message from me. Okay.
0: Uh, Looking at the questions here,
1: a near
0: record. This might be P2 or so on the podium of the Weekend Sports Car question submissions. We are at over 4,000 words. I believe 93 (laughs) questions our man Ryan Kish told us, uh, came in. So I I know we've topped 100 maybe once before. But We have. uh, Yes. So, Graham, don't know if you're aware, there was a motor race last weekend in Belgium. There was. Yes. Yes, there was. Uh, There were some cars, a little bit of ADD. Uh, I think they're fueled by, I don't know what, but anyways, hypercars. We're going to try and get them under control. Speaking of hypercars under control, rumors. Terrible, terrible rumors, aspersions cast that maybe the lone hypercar entrant at the event might not have been showing their full hand. So, indeed, I think we're starting off the show by sliding Mm. in the official sponsored by Bushu's Hammer Emporium soapbox. So let's start here. Uh, do you want me to even read the questions, or should I
1: just let you go? Uh, well, I mean, I, let's have a crack at the questions, and let's lead it into what was, at times, a mildly frustrating weekend.
0: Mildly, he says. Week. Uh, uh, right-turn lover. Is there an explanation to the significant jump in hypercar performance over the six hours of spa event, other than sandbagging, or will the trend continue and by the end of... The five-year homologation period, they'll all lap Lasarth in a minute and 59 seconds. Richard Cooper, did Toyota move all the sandbags from the group, uh, or have they left a couple in for emergency stratification bargaining later in the season? Um, We've got some others that are uh, similar shades. Uh, James Counter, can you confirm the reason for both Porsches crashing and qualifying was because of all the sand left behind? From the Toyotas uh, removing their sandbags and free practice three, uh, I am standing back. It's, I am. It's
1: going to go on and on. Isn't I'm it? ready
0: to listen. Uh, Off you
1: go. Let, let me tell you what that was like. Okay, um, it's the start of a new era. It is the stuttering start of a new era, but it is doubtless the start of a new era. As you said. It, Porsche and Penske later on, uh, later in the weekend, actually, uh, in Spa, we had news update from Audi. There's other stuff we know to come. I've come back from Spa with news of potential additional uh, LMDH projects, with you know, uh, not quite at evaluation stage Alpine with the Renault project, BMW due to make a decision at some point. But what we had was Alpine with the Cinetech, uh run. LMP1, grandfathered LMP1, but of course, the very first of the new hypercar uh, breed, the Toyota uh, GR010, the Groot, as we're calling it. And yes, there were immediate frustrations. The car was not quick, uh, very quick compared to the LMP2s in sectors 1 and 3 of Spa, two seconds down on the cars in sector 2, which is a downforce uh, dependent sector for, for real performance. Instantly, uh, once we managed to get to speak to senior members of the Toyota Cousin Racing Team, there were noises that this was as fast as they could possibly go. It's a disaster. You don't want this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Look, I've played this game before, so have UMP, so has just about everybody, and equally. Uh, doing what I do, whether or not that be as a journalist or whether or not that be my prior career in PR. When you ask two senior managers from the same team and brand, the same kind of questions and the answers are precisely the same to the word, I sniff script. Okay. So number one, um, failure there is the straight answer number two is we're hearing from other senior sources within the team that they did expect the cars to go quicker during the week but still the principals there were telling us that they effectively were putting pressure on for the lmp2s to take a further um a further performance adjustment let's put it that way doubly difficult is that similar conversations with the Signatech Alpine team um, were looking slightly different. They certainly were talking about an adjustment, but they weren't talking about an adjustment to LMP2. My guess is for the sole and only reason that they also run an LMP2, uh, but were asking for their car to be given a little bit more performance. It's fair to say in the wake of those conversations, those interviews, the few people that were in the press room early in the week – were, uh, I don't want to say confused, but but kind of looking to go in one direction or the other um, in terms of the way that story would be written. And indeed, I did not see from a single person that was in the room um, that uh, they went any other way than to sit on the fence and say, let's wait and see. However, and unfortunately... Others that were not in the room, if they had spoken to them and spoken to them from distance, did decide to effectively announce the gloom and doom in Hypercar before a car had ever raced. Now, I'm not going to name names um, because it would not be fair, uh, but it certainly includes representatives of some of the very biggest publishers of motorsport around, and it includes some of the specialists should down well know better, who added into it, decided to put their thoughts about things being on the brink behind a paywall, which, frankly, I think doesn't speak one speak well of their their, uh, of their motives in terms of um, openness and truth about these things, or indeed knowledge about it. We then got the most extraordinary moment for the past several years. I have been asking, politely, that when we get things like uh, equivalence of technology or balance of performance, whatever it is, that we we have shared with us in the media because we're simple souls, an explanation of the changes that have been made, um, an explanation of the difference that they expect that change to make to the performance of the car, and a reason why they've made the change. So in other words, just an explanatory note from those powers that be to. Uh, allow us not to make mistakes in making our own mind up rather than following a lead from the people having made the decisions about why changes are made. More transparency, I guess it's the point. And on occasion, we did get that. It, it rather fell off towards the end of that regime. However, we did get to sit down with the FIA and ACO technical representatives. They made it extremely clear very, very quickly that number one, there would be no Uh, changes prior to the race weekend number two is they had no intention of making further changes to the lmp2s who let's not forget had already suffered two changes one of which was just weeks before and by the way those teams had had little or no time to test the cars in that um in that uh, format either and finally and i think most importantly a clarification uh, question asked by myself which was you know they made clear that the principal method of collecting data is through the torque meters that are attached to uh, the cars. They can tell, you know, real-time power outputs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They can see just about everything from the systems on the car, and they would be collecting that in race, uh, in race conditions. That begs the question: Does that mean that you will not be making changes in balance of performance during a race weekend? Mm. The answer, the answer came in the affirmative that they will not make changes during a race weekend, although it's fair to say, and I think perfectly fair here, that they did leave the uh, the door open that perhaps Le Mans might be a little different because this is a fundamentally different circuit. Um, so that was quite interesting. Um, there were all sorts of other holes in arguments, by the way, including an ass- uh, assertion by uh, toted that not only could they they find it extremely expensive to reduce weight on the car that may be the case but also that they would find it um, difficult to increase power on the car that was until it was pointed out by one of my press room colleagues that the power that the car was running um, at uh, Spa was indeed in excess of the homologated uh, power output for the Tota, because um, a conversation, a, a regulatory change been made in the back back rooms that basically says the stratification and if you've not been exposed to that dreadful word, that is the word being used, the separation between the classes particularly in this case hypercar and MP2 uh, that that stratification would, would be closer, critically closer on the non Mans circuits, in other words the other WEC circuits, which means that the hypercars are allowed to run up to 520 kilowatts of power compared to 500 at the Mans. So in other words, there is an edge for the Tota to, to run more power. What can I say? Um, I'm hugely unimpressed with game playing at this point. We've got Teams, including the Glickenhaus team, that are looking to get their car firmly into the performance window. We've got a grandfathered LMP1 car that actually I think they've done a reasonably good job of getting into that window. And we've got the Toyota, which without a doubt has got the bigger budget of the three current cars. And we're at a point where, critically, confidence in that process of balance of performance may determine whether or not we see other brands joining in the competition it's not smart toyota kazoo racing to play that game before we've ever hit the track and it's fair to say that once we did hit the track that actually the bop wasn't at all bad between the uh, grandfathered lmp1 and the brand new hypercar there was one balancing comment here by the way mp which is that the alpine was not able to run to its full bop um, and the reason it wasn't able to run to the full BOP is because what had been dealt out to it in terms of energy per stint, it wasn't able to run because its fuel tank wasn't big enough. So they dealt fuel to it effectively that it wasn't able to use. Um, I think it was a good crack at the at the problem. It'll be interesting to see if and when uh, we see the Glick announced 007s, again, a fundamentally different concept, three different types of car. Uh, whether or not that's still the same if they're in the performance window how close they are but i think it was completely correct for the aco and the fia to grasp the nettle sit in front of the media that were there and by the way in front of all the media that were, were um uh were on the other end of a zoom call including pr from the major teams involved and basically say enough We've got a process. You've all signed up to it. You've all agreed to it. We're not messing with it. We're going to see how this race goes. And actually, for my money, the race at the front was reasonably good. We need more cars. Those cars are coming. The cavalry is arriving. Um, But I think it was pretty good. It's time that we started to get into that mindset that if we've got BOP and we do, that what is needed now is a firm process, a clear direction, and that it is the rule makers and not the manufacturers who are in charge of that process. So it's not basically a big kiss off to an individual or multiple individuals, hi Rocky, Um, but it is, uh, I guess, the point to be made right now that that clarity and that openness that we saw at SPAR, it's not been something we've seen in recent years, needs to continue so that when we do get these kind of sometimes shadowy, Uh, talks by the side of a a race truck that we've got an opportunity to go and check it with the people who do have access to the real data. Um, Were they sandbagging? don't know. It's a straight answer. I think they were running a program. I think they were running whatever their program was. But it's certainly, uh, certainly fair to say that once we got through testing that the speed came and came pretty quickly and there was something like three and a half to four seconds quicker by the end of the weekend than they have been been at the beginning. So, fingers crossed, we can move forward. We wait for Portimao where we hope we're going to see the two Glickenhaus cars and we hope that they're going to be where they need to be to be competitive. Uh, But that was our first crack at it. It was disappointing to see politics being played that early on in such an important new rule set. And I hope lessons have been learned because I'll tell you right here and now, Uh, there are a number of people involved in those conversations that will not be taking at face value the statements made by some of the senior people involved in the future.
0: Yikes. The other thing which I think might be worth spending a moment with, and I don't know if I see any specific questions on this, Graham, it's (sighs) although the new Toyota is the lone representative for this new formula of hypercar, were slower than LMP2s in the opening session and obviously picked up speed as we got closer to qualifying. Uh, Where do you sit on the place that hypercars have landed in terms of pace, capabilities, and whatnot to LMP2? And I, I raise that from the question of, or from the perspective of, we know the, the mission for hypercar. We can't keep doing LMP1 hybrid. We don't have anybody playing with us other than Toyota. want to come up with something that's less expensive, maybe not as crazy technologically, but still very diverse and interesting there. But it needs to be the top, it's the top class. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Toyotas ended up winning. Uh, obviously, more pace was revealed as the weekend went on. We also know that they've had to slow the LMP2s. We know that for what I would say is a pretty big expenditure by Toyota, and we'll see you know who all else um, comes in and where they land uh, with the Ferraris and Peugeots and whatnot and Glickenhouses. But it just came across to me like, boy, for the debut weekend for a new formula, it sure is not differentiating itself in terms of significant performance on track. Was that a surprise to you? And do you think uh, I'm being too harsh uh, this early in the new formula?
1: Yes, no. I think there's, 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 um, there are points to make on both sides. I think, one, there's, uh, since we last talked, there's been a sensible, pragmatic decision made about the European Le Mans series, which means that those cars will continue to run with the high downforce aero kits in the lms races because there's no hypercars i mean the thought of having the lower downforce kit which robs it of something i believe between 15 and 20 percent of the downforce levels of an lmp2 car at somewhere like the red bull ring was pretty horrifying um, but they've made a sensible decision there the stratification the gap let's take out the equation for a moment the united car because that had an exceptionally good run I a mean, remarkable run but that united car um was finally lapped comprehensively in other words not um coming back onto the lead lap with a pit stop in about the fourth hour of the race and i think that's about right for a faultless run from a from a factory level privateer team why it's endurance racing i've said this time and time again on commentary and on the weekend sports cars it's endurance racing to win, you've got to be quick, but you've got to be fault-free. And if you are, aren't fault-free, if the car goes into the garage, if you have an issue, there needs to be a consequence to that. Whether or not there's three cars in the lead class or whether or not there's 33 cars in the lead class. And in this instance, um, the lack of fault-free running for the Tota did mean that uh, the Alpine had its day in the sun and led the race multiple times. And it did mean that the United uh, Orica stayed on the lead lap for several hours. Um, the cars behind in LMP2 that didn't have a clean run didn't. And I think there, the gap is enough to keep somebody like Toyota, a team with the capabilities of Toyota, with a car of the capabilities of Toyota, on its on their toes. They've got. They know they're under pressure to be clean through the race. They know they've got to get through traffic. And by the way, that's clearly where we're going to see the major uptick in terms of uh, a factor in the race in this new era is going to be traffic because the gaps between the classes are simply smaller. So getting through traffic, it's not. We can't press the big red, you know, warp drive button anymore because that's not how the hybrid system works anymore. It's not pull out of a you know, a second or third gear corner and hit hyperdrive because it doesn't work like that anymore. It's 120 kilometers and over in the dry and it's 150 kilometers and over in the wet is where you get the boost and that boost is significantly less significant. Um, So for me, it's a bit of a false reading at the moment simply because we've got quite a deep LMP2 class with some mixed abilities throughout that. And we've got a not very deep hypercar class at the moment. Um, I think once we get five cars later this season, seven cars next season with Peugeot coming, and who knows, maybe something else. I think the answer could be clearer. I th- I'll be honest with you. Right now, I think the signs are they may be closer than a lot of people are giving them, you know, um, credit for to the correct solution. For me. It, it comes down as being as simple as this. Am I happy that cars are being slowed down for better competition? I'm not. Of course, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm a reasonably a purist in the same way that, that you are, MP. But we're not in the era where we're going to get two, three, four manufacturers or teams stepping in with 50, 70, 100 million euros to spend on their sports car program. If we can get to the stage where we've got four, five, six, seven factory teams wanting to step in, and maybe half a dozen, three to half a dozen um, well-funded privateers stepping in at a lower price level. And that gives us the opportunity for truly close, close racing at the front. I don't see how that's different to those that like to see a field bunched up after a yellow or any other way in which, either through the way in which a race flows naturally through a rule book or whether or not it's sometimes actively managed uh, with a rule book, I don't see how that is any different in terms of providing sheer entertainment. We are entering an era where everything is about to change. That was the very first opportunity to see how it works. My view is I think there is some fine-tuning to be done. But I think they've done a pretty remarkable job at the moment of getting it where everybody thought it should be. The cars are quick enough. The cars are different enough. Uh, I've gone on the record, um, I think even on the WCTV broadcast, as saying that the the other mistake that Toyota have made is painting the car the same colours. Because it's fundamentally a different car when you look at it. There is next to nothing about that car and its proportions It is the same as the, the outgoing car. But because it's got the same livery, it looks the same. Um, and that, I think, is a mistake in terms of the way in which they're pushing their brand. I hope I'm right. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I've got all the answers, but I believe from what we saw, there was sufficient separation to separate the wheat from the chaff, the men from the boys, you know, And uh, and all of those pat phrases, I think we've got enough separation that keeps the premier class to the front when they deserve to be there, uh, but punishes errors and a lack of perfection uh, if they don't deliver on that. If if we can't have ultimate pace MP then surely what we should be requiring of high-quality teams is high-quality preparation and delivery. And it's that, from this point forward, that will be punished in this new era. Put it in the garage, stay in the pit lane too long, have an issue out in the circuit, you're going to be punished. And at one point, it did indeed look as if the second... um, Toyota might even finish behind the leading LMP2 that we might have seen United on the podium. And with only three cars at the moment in the field, five to come, there's every chance that we might see that later in the season. I'm, in th- I'm encouraged by it. I'm not uh, quite as enthused as I'd like to be yet by it, but I am very encouraged by it. I think there's been a big series of changes in the background during the off season. And I think we're going to be coming up with a formula here that people, once we get to the the cars in bigger numbers, can get behind.
0: Why don't we move to CTW? Not a race team, a man who runs a racing series for the rest of the month. Uh, Let's see. Marhall Pruet, I think he's French, (laughs) uh, wrote in to say, this one's for Graham. I read today that the folks behind the WC. Are cutting the head of the Asian Lamas series loose at the end of May? Why do they like to break good things? Uh Michael Z says, could you expand more in Cyril's Departure? Uh Gregor Pitorowich says something similar. Um so what's the Asian Lamas series takeover by LMEM? What could that mean for the series in general? Uh, I know this is another tricky place that you can't wade too deeply into, but uh, what is going on?
1: Well, that's perfectly fine. Um, Before we get into that, uh, just a moment. Uh, One of the things that Surreal has done in the six years he's been at the head of the Asia Le Mans Series in Asia, LMBM, um, is he's built a team. It's a small team. It's a very tight knit team, and it's a very high functioning team. And happily, we're friends. I'm part of that team as the uh, as the TV commentator, but happily we're friends as well. I'm not going to mention a name here, so please, listeners, indulge me with this one. We we had uh, news earlier this week, um, just before the news of Surreal's uh, departure, which happens at the end of May, by the way, um, that one of our family uh, lost a very close relative to COVID-19. I know that a lot of the Asia Le Mans series team listen to this podcast. And I'm thinking of all of you, and I'm thinking particularly of the family member and uh, their beloved family right now, as we all are. Bless you. We're with you. This is a terrible, terrible time across the planet, and it's awful that it's affected one of our number. As for Cyril, I think it's really quite this simple. Um, I read the statement from uh, from Pierre Fion. Um, I've spoken, I think as a you, MP, to Surreal in the days uh, since this one has happened. There's zero doubt that there's full respect being given for the level of achievement uh, in the Asia Le Mans series. Let's just measure that. When he took over the Asia Le Mans series under its previous management before uh, Asia LMEM and before the ACO took back control, had six full season entries. Sure. This year, with the Series with its fourth contingency plan to get a full series together, fourth, um, with various bits and pieces behind that that made it rather more than four iterations in reality, had a record 36 cars on the entry, including teams from Asia. And frankly, had we not had the, uh, the challenges of the pandemic, it would have been more teams from Asia. It could very easily... With slightly different circumstances have been well over forty cars this year, and I know because they 've called me as well that a very substantial proportion of those customer teams were amongst the first people to call, message, reach out to surreal after that news broke and the The overwhelming uh, emotion is disappointment that he won 't be there, okay. Why has it happened and how has it happened? I think you need to go back to uh, summer last year and the Le Mans 24 Hours. We had something missing and that was a crowd. And when you've not got a crowd, at an event that that regularly pulls in six-figure numbers of crowd, then that means you're taking a very hefty hit in terms of revenue. To replace that, of course, what they put in place was the virtual Le Mans, Uh, you know, on the regular weekend that would normally have welcomed the Le Mans 24 hours. And also, um, you know, full credit to them, the same efforts to present the Le Mans 24 hours to the external world, anybody that listened and watched the same investment went in there um, to make sure that the TV product, the radio product, everything, um, including some new aspects of the piece, to the puzzle this year, were still in place. That costs money. That's about keeping that business alive, kicking, etc. And that comes at cost. And the the ACO, LMEM, WEC, ELMS are no different than any other business. There was a cost to that. And I think what's happened um, is that amongst lots of other people who are not going to be returning to their jobs in motorsport, the same is the case with the ACO and other racing bodies. People are down the road. People are not going to be in the the employ of those organizations moving forward. And I don't think it's any accident that the two standing CEOs that we had coming into the pandemic, Gerard Naveau at LMEM and Sir Tish at the Asian LMEM, both are no longer going to be in post by the time we get to June. Uh, Gerard went a little while ago, Surreal will be going at the end of May. They are the two CEOs, and I, I don't know about you, MP, I certainly have been involved in developing and have been the victim of major organisations and their restructuring in the wake of financial pressure over the last 30 years. It's not very nice, but what you tend to do, rather ironically, is de-stratify Oh, strata, we, we
0: need to drop stratify and stratification from our lexicon. <laughs>
1: Come on! <laughs> oh we need a hashtag, don't we? But it's taking out a layer of management is what I think is going on here. Um... But the really thing dis- that's bizarre, Graham,
0: yeah. is hey, yeah. we own a shipping company, and boy, we got kicked in the crotch last year with COVID, and finances are down. So we need to save some money and, and lean out the operation. Where should we start? Well, let's let's get rid of the captain. Oh, yeah, that that's my first thought. Let's have that ship out there with. Uh, let's get rid of the captain who's helped steer it towards success. And put someone else in who's now going to be tasked with being the captain to like four ships at the same time. I'm not disagreeing think, with what you're saying. No, no, I'm just no, saying I think, that if I'm thinking I strategy and saving money, cutting the captain uh, and hoping that the ship keeps steering itself in the right direction. That uh, that's not a play I'm accustomed to. It's usually the uh, folks supporting the captain and you accumulate a couple of different people with salaries that are close to adding up to what the captain is. It's not, a, at least for me, in our world of racing, it's not common to say, oh, had a bad year financially. Let's start getting rid of the people who did good things when things weren't
1: bad. I, I, I'll, I'll add this in then. From the perspective of the ACO, as the organisation that has got the oversight of all of this, they have, uh, in fact, two race-organising bodies. They have LMEM, which organises, at the moment, the FI World Endurance Championship, European Le Mans Series, and the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And they have Asian LMEM, which organises the Asia Le Mans series and previously organized the Asia Le Mans series sprint cup, which was the uh, short lived, but reasonably effective uh, method in which they brought uh, more local Southeast Asian teams into particularly GT and LMP3 racing. Um, and I think from their point of view, if you're in a position where you've got to save money, they're putting two into one. And there is one person that has gone from the Asian Le Mans series uh, structure, as far as I'm currently aware, and that's surreal. So it's they've just put in place um, Frederick Ukraine, who's the new CEO of LMEM, and they're going down the road of ex, uh, of putting in place that plan. Uh, is it personally disappointing? Of course it is. You know, I mean, I, I would tell you right now, I count surreal as a friend, as I do with many people in both organisations. Um, but I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Um, it's always painful when there's change like that, when there's somebody that you know holds the confidence and admiration of customers as well as his own staff. Um, but I think he, he'll he be okay uh, because, to be blunt, he's an awesome personality. And if there aren't already people on the phone uh, sniffing out the possibilities of what he might be interested in doing so, uh, then if you've got a position at that level in uh, in the sport or in anything that's even remotely related to it, you might want to be seeking out how to get in touch with them by email or by telephone. But the the reality is I think this is one of a number of situations that is coming out from the COVID-19 pandemic that we we're going to see more of this. There are certainly others that are perhaps a little less high profile, Some of the kind of middle management posts that I'm firmly aware in a number of organizations have gone down the road. We know that this has happened at IMSA uh, last year as well, MP, you know, with with some pretty senior people in that organization who are no longer part of that organization. And they weren't necessarily people that you or I, had we been the people in charge, would have chosen to be the first down the road. Um, I think these are times of very, very tough choices. Um, Sad, very Sad. Um, but I sort of get it. Uh, If you're listening, Cyril, I know you are, uh, because he loves this kind of stuff. Um, You know, it is a sad day for everybody involved in that family, but you know what we'll do once we've been sad about this and once we've told you what we all think of you and what we feel about it? We'll dig deep. And we'll get on with it and we'll give it our best because that's what he built. He built a high-functioning team that will do their best for two audiences. The customers, that's the teams and the drivers who are paying, and you lot out there who just like awesome racing. That's what we'll continue to do. So best of luck, boss. Um, We're going to miss you. And we're going to honor your efforts by doing the best we possibly can to make this the best it possibly can be. (sighs) the fun thing, Graham, and I'm just being my usual
0: idiot self, (laughs) the fun thing, Graham, is we're going to be able to look back in a year, two years, and be able to tell if
1: it was a smart decision. So... (sighs) Well, I think I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much, MP. I have said to numerous people... In senior positions, in the bodies concerned here, that they need to learn the lessons about what was achieved here in terms of contingency planning, in terms of the way in which the customers were treated, in terms of the way in which the product was promoted, in terms of all those things. They need to understand that nothing that was achieved here was easy. OK, and if what you want to do is to put a template that you've currently got over something that's different and expect it to be the same, the answer is it's not going to be. So that's, I think, where you'll start to see uh, whether or not lessons have been learned or not. I think we'll know all about that as we progress through the year. But for right now, I've heard nothing from any of the senior team, um, and it's a very small senior team in the Asia Le Mans series that um, is anything other than, you know, upset and disappointed. But, you know, re-energized by the fact, well, okay, let's show them what we can do then.
0: Well, let's move on from these two shit shows to something uh, <laughs> a little bit different, maybe more enjoyable. Uh, and thanks once again for all the great questions here. Uh, seriously, we just love talking about this stuff. And uh, I, per- I love the Graham Goodwin episodes most of all, where the majority of the questions are for you. Uh, yeah. So we're going to go to Cade McKee. Hey, Cade. He says, what? time do you think we will see the next generation of LMP2s come forward uh, he also full. he also says with the Porsche LMDH unveil uh, aiming for the end of the year i can't see a LMDH uh, being shown before LMP2 um Mention LMDH unveiling before the end of the year. We're not totally sure we're going to have hybrid systems and whatnot for those to actually hit the motor racing circuit, but that wouldn't stop someone from unveiling a presentation vehicle. But uh I know you mentioned the year for P2. Can you just share a little more insight? Because we've got a couple other questions Sean Crockett and a few more just wondering hey, since we got this hypercar thing done and it's out, uh when are the cars that could be the continuing bane of their existence? <laughs> when are we going to see those and what are you hearing about uh who knows any adjustments to the specification uh in light of hypercars not being as fast super quick and awesome as maybe we thought they would be
1: okay right so Hey, by the way, not a name I can recall having heard before if this is your first time. You're more than welcome. Um, so the answer is you will see LMDH cars before you see LMP2 cars. There will be separation between the rollout for the, certainly the first LMDHs and the LMP2s. I think we're in the process at the moment of them deciding when how that uh, time frame might work its way through i have a story in preparation that's been rather too long in preparation for which i apologize uh, that sort of gives the insight from the aco's point of view on that all i will say is um i think you're going to see quite a lot of lmdhs before you see lmp2 uh the uh, other thing to say here is we don't know what lmp2 is going to look like and i mean both physically what it will look like. We Neither do we know exactly what the specification of LMP2 is. Uh, at the moment, it is the four identically the same uh, chassis manufacturers with the Gibson 4.2 litre V8. We don't know that Gibson are going to be involved in this. We don't know that it's going to be 4.2 litre V8, even if they are. We don't know. There's a whole lot of we don't know right now about LMP2. Uh, and one of the things we don't know about LMP2 is, is exactly when that change will come. I think we're going to see the current breed of LMP2, probably in reduced numbers as some of the other teams either try to or actually do migrate uh, up to customer LMDH programs. Um, I think we'll see those cars around for several seasons yet. Uh, um, If you're asking me to guess, my guess would be I don't see us seeing new LMP2 until at the very earliest, 2024, and more likely, I think, at this stage, 2025.
0: Oddball thing that popped into my head. I've never really considered this for a spec anything, whether it's a open-wheel car, sports car, whatever, but do you think by the end of this P2 Formula's lifespan, we might... In hindsight or retrospect, or whatever, however many years down the road, look back at the Eureka 07 as a truly great chassis. Again, I know it's speckish era, uh, but do you think that chassis might earn that, that kind of accolade, knowing how it's just throttled all the other P2s it had to go up against?
1: I uh, 100% do. I think you and I have had conversation offline about this one. I think, you know, the phrase I've used is, I think it's time we had a conversation about how good a car it is. And, yeah, you know, look, there are two things you can say about the Orica against the other three alternative chassis in the current Gibson era. Um, the first to say is, did they have an advantage at the start? Yes, they did. They're the only of uh, the one of the four that could actually um, upgrade their existing then existing chassis in 2016, the 05 to the 07, and because that led to them having something of an advantage, it wasn't an overpowering advantage to start with, but it became that way. Increasingly, what that meant was that tire development went the way of uh, you know, uh, tires that suited the Orica rather than the alternatives. And the reason for that was pretty simple. There were simply fewer of them uh, out there racing and testing. So it's it's ended up that way. But there's, there's, you can't get in the way of the conclusion that it's been a pretty remarkable car. Um, you know, it is effectively the same car that became the Rebellion. Um, And that car was very, very quick indeed. Um, Aerodynamically, it's good. Uh, In reliability, it's pretty good. Um, You know, I've had multiple uh, drivers and teams that have been with an alternative chassis supplier that immediately, as soon as they've tested it, number one, have found pace immediately. And number two, the drivers have got out the car and said, that is so much better. You know, so they got it right out of the box. And yes, you know, look. Do I think we'll be looking wistfully back in twenty or thirty years and putting it on the same kind of pedestal as a Porsche 962? No, I don't. But I don't think it's a million miles away from that. I really don't. I think this has been a remarkable uh, machine in uh, you know, a global sports car racing. And by the way, it's a pretty good-looking machine as well, um, which doesn't half help. You know, putting it in a variety of uh, deliveries. I think you know. The, I think there's some that we'll look back and and yes, we'll be fairly wistful about it, when you've got a car that a team of quality with a proper budget to, to invest in in-depth engineering can make the difference that United Autosports do, a TDS Racing do, a Coral Autosports did at the time when the cars were been allowed to run more freely, then it also shows there's all sorts of variations on spec, aren't there? If you can actually get to the stage where drivers and engineers can make a difference to those cars in terms of the speed they get out of it, the consistency of that speed, that is a proper race car, isn't it, MP?
0: I would apply proper to uh, that description for sure. Why don't we take one or two more here? I'm going to go with Alex Ware. says, Graham, I'm a big fan of Jim Glickenhaus and his merry band of racers. Please (laughs) give me some reassurance they're on course for Portimao.
1: Okay. The answer, I think, uh, they've had a bit of a rough couple of days. Big shunt for their GT car at the Nurburgring. If you've not seen the the Jim walking around the car, um, because that car is due to race in the ADAC 24-hour qualification race, Uh, do take a look. Because yet another window on Jim's world of absolute openness. Everything I've not caught up with Jim in the last week or so, uh, but I will. Um, the last I heard is that they have now homologated the uh, the aero. So the aero is within the window that it needs to be. That is part of the uh, hypercar regulations. It has to reach a particular um, aerodynamic window. What we don't know yet is where they are in terms of the, the overall performance window. That I'm guessing has been one of the reasons why They've wanted to take some more time. My guess is they weren't quite there. I hope they will be. There's not a lot that I've seen from that package that suggests that they can't be. Um, so I think, let's put it this way, if the car doesn't show at Portimao, then I think we've got good reason to start to be concerned about progress. But I've been given no indication in a negative fashion to say that it won't be. I believe that Jim has said that they will be with both cars. Uh, I hope so. I think that will add another layer to the kind of the politics, the intrigue and the performance. Uh, They've got one hell of a job on their hands, but then again, that's why they're there. Uh, At the end of the day, whatever else you think about Jim Glickenhaus, he's passionate and he's a racer and he will want to go out there and do it on his own terms it is not going to be dull. I can tell you that. And I could tell you something else. I think had Jim been in the paddock at Spa, I think those politics might have taken a very different turn. I look forward to sharing paddock time with Jim, Jesse, and his merry band. I sincerely hope what we see is that very good-looking car, the 007, um, is out there and banging wheels and banging heads with the people Uh, at the top end of the WEC for the several races we're going to see this season, for Portimao, for Monza, and at the Le Mans 24 hours.
0: Our shows, or the entire podcast, official Minister of Mirth, Lance Snyder weighs in, says, Graham, if there's an LMP2 or LMP3 race in the WEC or ELMS, and United Autosports has not won, would
1: that still count as a race? Yeah, they've taken over, haven't they? The mantle of AF Corsa is an official race if AF Corsa aren't in it. Um, they're just very, very good. I think it's as simple as that. To be fair, they didn't win in the LMS and LMP3 uh, last time out. They they comprehensively won in the WEC this, uh, this time out. And you know, congratulations to everybody involved in that. I have to tell you, looking at what they were up against in terms of the depth of talent in LMP2 in the WEC. Uh, I wasn't sure it would be that easy. They didn't win either, by the way, in LMS and LMP2. WRT looked like a real nut to crack there. This is where we're going to see the intrigue now. These are high-quality, high-performance and to a certain degree, higher spending teams that are maneuvering themselves to take that call, to be invited in to make those presentations for factory programs moving forward. WRT, TDS, United Autosports and more uh, looking to get those uh, those calls that will put them on a different plane in sports car racing it is a career defining company defining moment right now for them and you've got to stand and applaud when they can put the uh the the resources into play to make a difference in performance and we've seen that Felipe Albuquerque throughout the week at uh, WCN Spa on a different level in the same way by the way I don't know who got a question there that Kevin Estro I don't know what Kevin found in his racing trousers but my god it was impressive um you know when you've got to the stage where in a balance of performance class as GTE Pro is that you can be a second lap quicker. When you've got to the stage where in a spec class, which uh, LMP2 is, you're second lap quicker. Um, Then those two were standout performers for me. um, Phil Hansen at the start of the race overtaking both Toyotas by the time he'd actually got through the first turn, splitting them um, to the point where the uh, second of the two groups managed to, uh, get the hybrid power down and overtook on hybrid grunts coming through a uh, Rouge Radeon. Um Amazing stuff. Uh, it is great to watch. It's great to watch the spirit that's involved in that. And more to the point in the background when you see the sense of achievement that comes out with the United Autosports crew and the others in LMP2 when those achievements come forward. It's great to see WRT on their full season debut in LMP2 taking the fight to the rest and dominating in Barcelona. We've got a lot of storylines to come on this front, MP, because, like I said, the cavalry is coming, but they're not coming at a gallop yet, and it's giving the opportunity to truly talented people behind the wheel, on the pit perches and in the garages and in the engineering spaces of um, these teams to just show what they've got to turn heads. Watch those battles. Don't just be, be possessed by what's going on in the top two or three positions. Watch what's going on in terms of the way that those teams can deliver performance on track. And by the way, the first thing that was said to me by senior members of uh, the teams, uh, teams like United were, we know where we could have done better, okay? We know where we could have done better. We've got new teams in the WEC moving up the order into Europol from Poland with, you know, Kubis-Moski, with Renga van der Zander and with Alex Brundle, you know, putting in a great performance. But but immediately the team were telling me we know where we, we were short against the teams that were a couple of positions in front of us. And we can do something about that. The battle starts now because now they know how good the people at the top are. And racers, as you quite well know, MP, want to beat the very best. They don't just want to be lucky and look into it um, one weekend. They want to rise to the, to the top of the, uh, the tree and deliver their best performance and keep delivering their best performance because whatever else this is, this is international motorsports, It is an elite sport, and that's what these guys and girls, increasingly girls, by the way, want to deliver week in, week out.
0: Where should we go next on killing Graham's time in quarantine?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I tell you what, I wouldn't mind, actually. I've just spotted a question from another of our new uh, questioners, Daniel Summerskill, who uh, was asking Ooh. about uh, about the venue for the prologue, sort of forced into it by the change uh, that came for uh, the start of the season with the Portimao race being postponed. Um, but of course we had it part, and it was carnage. It's got to be said. Uh, it, there were car after car after car. We, I, we, I think I'm right, Was It's six or seven cars. Um, so we, we carnage. had carnage. Carnage. Well, let's put that's it in the very special here. corner there, by the way. We, yes. We started. We <laughs> we started the weekend or the week rather with five brand new Porsche 911 RSR 19. Uh, privateer cars in GTM. Okay, of those, we lost, I want to say, three. Um, so both of the project one cars, uh, were, were damaged in, in uh, testing, and that one in testing, one in qualifying. The golf racing car, uh, on the uh, the we had the, the quick warm up uh, lapse, and Mike Wainwright put the car into the barrier, that car was out. And the 77 car, I, I do not know how the Dempsey Proton racing team turned that car around. Um, but uh, I was walking down pit lane on race morning after seeing that car reduced to its component parts, bumped into Christian Reed, asked, expecting to be told the car was withdrawn. Up came the carriage doors. Christian proudly showed the work that the team had actually done uh, and then prompted to actually show me under the uh, the front of the hood, uh, not the engine cover, but the, other, the front end, and, um, only to have one of the team members come rushing out, saying, no, 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 at which point the hood fell off because that had been fastened on. Um, but uh, oh. it, it was a remarkable performance from that team. It did show, I think, that car is very edgy on cold tyres. Very edgy, indeed, on cold tyres. We had the Aston Martin of Ben Keating, and if you didn't catch Ben's interview, by the way, post uh, his stint in the race where he was offering his view on what he might have done had he realized that the, one of the cars involved in the that saw him fly backwards through puan uh, was one pub on montoy he might have dealt with it differently but uh, ben uh, comprehensively remodeled the front end of his aston martin on the very first day and 10 minutes later the other car run by tf sport did the same jota lost a car racing team deadland lost a car um the answer is it's a terrible place for a prologue test. They were sort of forced into it, but it was a terrible place for a prologue test. I It, it, it was horrifically expensive for those teams. And hopefully that doesn't show uh, too badly uh, moving forward. Before I forget, by the way, Cat Leg um, in the Iron Dames Ferrari uh, got herself involved with Jogvenutet uh, in the Racing Team Netherlands car. And, you know, I've heard all sorts of, ways in which that accident was uh, explained at Blanchement, but the reality was, both those cars effectively written off. Huge front-end damage for Kat's car. Mercifully, she was okay. I suspect Jan van Uthet has probably heard her version of events loudly and repeatedly. Jan van Ute ended up in his Racing Team Netherlands car with, I believe, I was told correctly, one corner all that was salvageable from that car. Um, so, yeah, it was, Daniel, it was not an easy test to be a part of. And then we, of course, we had two cars making their way to the grid. Mike Wainwright in the golf, the aforementioned, not golf racing, GR racing, golf racing, racing car. And Mira Konopka in the Sol Ligier LMP2 that had a fuel cell leak on the, um, the lap to go to the grid and effectively was retired there. Um, lessons are learned. Of course they are. I don't expect we're going to be going back to Spa anytime soon, or indeed ever, for another prologue test.
0: Where are we going, or are we going somewhere else?
1: Let's let's uh, let's try somewhere else after, because this is one I think that cuts neatly across. We will go to IMSA next. This is one that c- cuts neatly across. It comes from Ewan uh, SRA Smoking P eight four one and. Uh, he says, so far, three out of eight hypercar-eligible vehicles will be available to customers, but will there be customer base to support them en masse, especially if a few more offer them? Hypercar is going to cost about the same as LMP1L DPI, In between them, they've only had four customer teams. Obviously, LMDH, LMH are more attractive prospects. Someone will need to fork out the €5 million uh, Euros a year to run one. I think it may be a bit more than €5 million, Euros. Um, I'll say this and then I'd love to hear what you've got to say about what you're hearing from the IMSA contingent MP. From my point of view, there are multiple current teams and other teams elsewhere in motorsport that are very interested in what might be possible with those cars. Um, The biggest difference between LMP1L and uh, LMDH and LMH, the hypercar class in WC, is it is a balance of performance Uh, formula from this point forward so none of the politics that that, or indeed the vertical development curves that uh meant that rebellion uh the promises that were made to rebellion that just went ashes within about five minutes of the season starting that's gone it is going to come down to the quality of your ability to deliver um a race car in uh, you know, in reliable and pacey form, what you can afford to put into that package in terms of the talent behind the driving wheel, how sustainable you can make it. Could this be, you know, a, a not dissimilar area to Group C when it was the Porsche factory team against a lot of their customers? It could. It could very well be. We don't know yet, but it could be. Uh, do I think there's demand? Yes. Do I think there's aspiration? Yes. Do I think it's the work of a moment? Uh, so that some of those teams would be turning up and putting cars on the track. No, I think there's a huge amount of work to do. Uh, one of the things I think it's worth thinking about here is, might you see teams that are currently running multiple P2 cars running maybe one LMDH? Yeah, it's distinctly possible that's what you might find, because effectively what you're looking for now is a different sort of customer. Because if actually what attracts you to the top class is the ability to win, By the very – by attachment, that means you're not going to have a gentleman driver aboard that car, are you? Because you can't win against a full pro crew if you've got a silver or bronze-ranked driver aboard that car unless they're supremely talented. So the reality there is going to be there might be some fundamental changes in the way in which the grids are put together that could see perhaps as having a – a catch tank with rather fewer cars uh, across the two levels of LMP racing or prototype racing, top class prototype racing in the future. That's one to watch for as the, the economies of scale emerge over the next couple of three years, MP. Does, S- what are you got to say about IMSA and the demand there?
0: What Graham said, but in America. All right, next question. <laughs> um, great question. Seriously, great question here. Couple of things to understand up front, maybe just in terms of the differences. Obviously, here in good old America, other than going slightly north across the border to Mosport, aka Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, we are extra domestic. These vehicles are never put in shipping containers on boats, planes, or otherwise. Travel costs, not a big thing. So, if we're just thinking about annual operating budget, knowing that travel can be a sizable figure to plug into a budget where a WEC campaign with an LMDH would certainly be a costly thing would not say it would have the same potential scary price tag running an LMDH here in North America. Not saying it's cheap, just saying we strip out that layer of heavy, heavy travel costs. I think Depending on how many brands opt into LMDH and also say, yes, we want to have customer programs, and I mean real customer programs, Graham, not, yes, we'll sell one or two, but we hope to sell six, seven, eight, 12 plus and really, truly make these readily available to all those who can't afford it and hopefully won't embarrass themselves or us. Depending on how many manufacturers are really open to that higher volume of customer sales approach, that's obviously going to dictate what we happen to see in terms of customer sales. But the manufacturer names, I think, are the ones that are really going to make the difference. So, Cadillac, for example, they have been the high sales leader so far in DPI. Knowing that, seen it, great. Mazda never made their cars available was a chance of a privateer effort with Dyson racing that didn't come together with a single car. But nonetheless, this program will start and finish with those staying in-house 100% Acura. Same exact thing from the outset. They said, we appreciate anyone who asks, but this is strictly for us. This is a factory campaign, marketing, promotions, victories, all we're here for, not trying to support people. Will that change with their LMDH? Don't know. Uh, Need to check in and see if and where they're at on that topic. Cadillac, I would expect, assuming they're in... I mean, can we just have a little sidebar here, Graham, and I'll say it in a quiet voice. Um, By the time an announcement comes out, uh, air quote, assuming it comes out, I think it's going to be the worst-kept secret in the sport. So... I'm not saying Cadillac will be confirming an MDH program, of course, but if they were to, uh, I don't think anyone would be overly surprised if and when that information were to come out. But again, I didn't just say that, so nobody heard it. Okay, where I think this topic turns in a really interesting direction where it hasn't been, at least on the American side, I think it also applies the WEC European side, and that is, porsche holy cow the minute they get into something there is such a large global network of people who want to be affiliated with it who want to own one of those vehicles either to race it own it just have private interactions with the vehicle there's a huge huge base of people who would be willing to buy a porsche lmdh compared to maybe some of the other brands and nothing new there, right? We've seen that historically. Uh, The RS spider program was not originally envisioned as a big customer type thing took off though. And while it was exclusive to America for a little bit, it, that car certainly took a great foothold in Europe and had some great success there would just say that if I'm Porsche, I'm feeling really happy about customer sales because I imagine they have more potential orders than they might actually want to fill. Audi, I think, could be in a very similar vein, maybe less so slightly than Porsche. We obviously know Audi's history in LMP1, all the Le Mans victories, etc. Porsche's still the number one name in global endurance racing. Where else would we go here if BMW were to come in? Do I think that there's enough interest on the BMW side if the brand wanted to have customer cars? I think there could be as well. Do I think Acura would have a lot of people knocking on their door trying to get a hold of one of their cars? Some. I don't know if I'd say it'd be an outrageous amount. Cadillac, I would absolutely expect them to have a lot of folks knocking on their door just based on what they've done in DPI. So I think it's more a question of which brand would have the following, uh, the proven, well-known infrastructure of wealthy folks, team owners, drivers, whatever, collectors who want to get into this marketplace and can afford it. I think that would be something that some of the other brands might not have that kind of interest, therefore might not have that kind of presence. As for what it would cost, would it be huge? Again, depending on, on how things are done, the numbers that I've heard from a factory standpoint could be very high. Just running here in IMSA with these hybrid prototypes. On the customer end, yeah, the actual kinetic energy recovery system, that's a pricey little piece. Something that, that would definitely move the number up from running a dpi i don't know if the rest would be so insane last thing to mention on this and just trying to put some little angles on this because we don't have a hard answer yet graham right what's that package cost from lmdh manufacturer a b c or d what does it cost for that annual support program what are the what is the spares program cost we know what the rs spider happened to be back in the day and it was frightening (laughs) i mean it was frightening probably limited the car from being as more populous than we had here in north america but these are some of the things that you have to find out once you get there what does it cost to purchase an lmdh from manufacturer a okay that number might not be insane well, what is that annual number they want to support you, dear customer, while running it? What kind of budget is needed for spare hashtag front noses and hashtag rear diffusers and whatever else? And are those the numbers that are the tipping point that lead some potential customers to go, can we just buy the car? and like play with it and stuff. Uh we're going to go to the local track day and uh me and my buddies are going to zoom around and try and not to electrocute ourselves with our LMDH because we really can't afford the rest of the stuff. These are the things that will be highly individual between each manufacturer and I think will dictate which manufacturers have serious customer presence and those who don't. So a little bit of the background there maybe, but also pointing to the fact that there's still a lot of Graham Goodwin's official hashtag, wait and see. Just got to find out what some of these numbers are going to be.
1: Absolutely right. Let's move on to uh, the firm areas of IMSA now. And we're going to go with a number of questions. You mentioned at the start this very exciting news from Penske and Porsche, this confirmed now dual program, two cars a beats for the FIWC and the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship with Porsche Pensky race uh, racing. Have I got that right?
0: Um, I th- I thought there was a motorsport in there, or is it a racing?
1: Either way, e-racing okay.
0: is that is that the removal no, of racing, just, just, or is that electric different. racing? Um, no,
1: it's 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 definitely Porsche and Pensky and something else. But uh, we'll move on. But either way, four confirmed cars in factory hands with Pensky handling both programs. Uh, one team based in Europe, one team based in Mooresville, and uh, lots and lots of questions, as you might imagine, on that one. Michael O'Keefe says, "No, we're long ways off from Porsche setting in stone driver lineups, but will we see?" mostly Penske drivers in the Porsches or will we mostly see Porsche factory drivers? Could we see a reunion of the bantor uh, Joe? Matthew Le- uh, Carl Matthew Levine says, awesome news about Penske and Porsche. What are your early, yet sure to be correct, predictions on drivers? Wonder if mm-hmm. Penske has Christophe Boucher's number. I think if he has, he'll be putting it somewhere safe. And something fun inspired by the news, what's your favourite Porsche LMP type car? Jake Ward, will Porsche Penske have more French drivers on their team than Peugeot? John Richter, no, it's too early to speculate on Porsche, Penske, Penske, Porsche drivers, but will some of the talent be coming from the Penske IndyCar stable like Paginot? Will it be all Porsche factory drivers like Bantor or Andre Lott reference example? Um, and, uh, and so it goes on. There's more to this one. But let's start with the kind of where you would expect that driver talent to be coming from MP.
0: Tell us everything they haven't told us. All right, coming right up. Uh it is indeed Penske Porsche Motorsport, singular, not plural. Okay. I mean well spotted. They're, they're not doing uh world rally with the uh the LMDH. So yes, it is indeed PPM Porsche Penske Motorsport. Uh you mentioned Simon Pajano. Say congratulations to Simon and his wife Haley. He told me uh, about their first child being on the way a little while ago and was asked, I'm sure like many to keep it quiet, uh, saw an announcement today in social media that their son, (laughs) this is a very Simon Pagino thing, Simon Pagino is famous for being the race car driver with a dog and who brings the dog everywhere. He named his dog after, I guess, a human name. He named his dog Norman. What did he name? What did they name their new son? Marley, which makes me think of another dog. So name the dog after a person and name the child after a dog. Fair enough. He's a huge lover of Bob Marley. So um, that's our beloved, really strange Frenchman there. So congratulations to him. He, what did he do? Did he like, I think one of our listeners, Ryan Terpstra, had mentioned something about, uh, hey, seems like a perfect, for Pagino here in a couple years to be part of this. And he liked that tweet. I don't know what that means, but interesting. If we look at how things have gone with Penske previously with Porsche in LMS LMP2, and even more recently with Acura in IMSA's DPI category, you could say there's been about a 50-50 split of Penske drivers to factory drivers. I don't want to, I mean, if I went back and I guess looked at all the drivers, that may or may not be 100% accurate in terms of whether it was a true split down the middle of, of who gets to select whom, but pretty close. I would think since we've seen that as a play that they've made twice, in their two most recent sports car programs with two different manufacturers, wouldn't be strange, Graham, to suggest that might be yet another thing that they included in this deal. So do I think we could see a Pagano who by then, not sure where he would be in his IndyCar career, if that would be wound up, could there be some other potential options there? Definitely. But we're also not looking at a... Big transitional time. I would say Graham coming up. Uh, if you think of all the drivers Roger has under his employee right now, you have Pagino who's 36, 37 of all of his drivers. He's the clear number one person to move over to sports cars. If you look at Will Power, who turned 40, uh, he's done a couple of, of Bathurst. He's done a couple of V eight supercar races, never really been a sports car guy. If, he was asked. I don't think he would say no. I just don't know if that's something Will would want to do. So after that, he's got Joseph Newgarden, very young, going to lead the IndyCar team for the next decade plus. Scott McLaughlin, who I think is going to be alongside Joseph in IndyCar. I don't see many people in his NASCAR program. I would try and move over, nor do I think Porsche would sign off on that. Just getting to the maybe the point here where I don't see a ton of people ready to move over from Roger's existing arsenal, but could this be a case where he looks within the paddock and says, hey, IndyCar driver over here, sports car driver over there, we might want to bring you in like they did uh, with, say, a Ricky Taylor um, and have you part of things that's going to be taking place in 2023. So I do absolutely think Penske will have some say, can't say how much, in some of the drivers and so on and so forth. But I do know that, uh, boy, I would not look forward to being the person at Penske in charge of trying to collate all of the inquiries that come in. (laughs) That would just be a little bit too much because I'm sure they've already heard from about 19,000 people who all believe they are the right person or uh, one of the four LMDHs they will be running in partnership with Porsche. couple other, I don't know if these are related or not, did add a question in that I got back from Porsche Motorsport uh, on the German side. Hey, read in the press release that was a little bit vague that Penske will also be looking after the European part. We know that, the WEC part, but will be based in Germany. I assumed at first... That meant Porsche Motorsport uh, running out of Weissach. was told that's not the case. Don't know where it's going to be, but uh, was told that, no, there will indeed be a separate facility uh, that Penske will be uh, establishing and, and or working out of there in Germany. So that's a fascinating bit. Just to come back and close on the, the driver's side, if we're thinking about the global talent that's available or potentially available, whether it's the folks that they have in Formula E right now, Lotterer was mentioned, provided Andre wants to do this, natural choice. Uh, If we think about some of the extended folks who were a part of things back in the day, hey, what have you and I been saying for, I don't know, Graham, five months, six months now, that Multimatic would be the chassis supplier for this? I believe there's a British kid who's, uh, I believe, under the employ of Multimatic, who might be a pretty good choice to plug into this. But could he be someone that uh, his man and mentor and whatnot, Alan McNish, would want over on the Audi side? Not totally sure. would just say if we wanted to do the speculation game, looking back over the final years of the 919 hybrid Porsche program, also Audi's final years of its R18 effort, there's a lot of names to draw from how how might this is the thing we'll close on this topic here the thing that i'm going to find fascinating to track is what's the internal fight like no i want this one no (laughs) i want this one right because again in theory you got audi and porsche doing this and there's a lot of people who've raced for them in recent years and what kind of tug of war who's the strong do we have alan mcnish arm wrestling somebody That's a comical sight I have in my mind. Someone from Porsche on the other end. Who is he arm wrestling to uh, see, you know, the winner of each arm wrestling match gets the driver in question. So I don't think there's going to be a problem, though. Maybe one other area, too. What have we seen a little bit with some of the other choices? Uh, If we're talking LMH or LMDH, well, I shouldn't say LMDH, but the Formula One driver angle, hey, you're... Fresh out, hey, Kevin Magnuson, come drive a Peugeot. Hey, so-and-so. Will there be any of that? Where will Formula One be in a couple years' time? Who will be on the way out? Uh, So, man, this I would say, if you think of it from a Volkswagen group standpoint, instead of specifically Porsche, Penske, Motorsport, Audi, whatever, just think about them globally doing this in LMDH, wow. Uh, This might actually be one of the more complicated things to figure out.
1: Yeah, there's just so many moving pieces. Let's add in a few more details and try and pick the bits out. There's a lot more that we don't know than what we do know, despite what was a fairly comprehensive... Uh, set of announcements this week. Brandon Kratzer says, Any word if, on if the Porsche Penske Emsa cars would be going to Le Mans? Will James says, Do you think we might see an extra Penske Porsche entered at Le Mans at some point, driven by Penske's IndyCar drivers? Uh, we've got uh, Joshua Johnson uh, saying, With Porsche partnering with Penske, what will become of the partnership with Monte? I could give you a little bit of insight on some of that in a moment. And more, um, John Richter, will, uh, will Penske's supervision of the European facility mean? They're the sole team involved. Will they hire another outfit or crew to handle the WEC season? Uh, Matthew Lyson says, uh, interesting that United was trying to run Porsche in LMD8. Surely this isn't a great sign for a possible McLaren programme. I can answer to that one. Um, All sorts of ins and outs here. And there will be, I'm sure, MP, a lot more that we don't know yet in terms of detail than that which we do or indeed which we can currently say.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're just having to draw from some things we've seen in the past to suggest they might be things that get followed here in the future. If we think of the Porsche GT program with both the former core auto Sport led effort here in the USA and those cars heading over to Le Mans each year and, and doubling up the factory presence from two to four, would I expect the LMDH entries in IMSA? to go to Le Mans each year?
1: I think that's...
0: If it doesn't, it'd be a shock. Question, though, with Penske running everything, with them having a base in Germany tied, obviously, directly to Porsche Motorsport, would we be talking about shipping two cars from the U.S. to come play at Le Mans? Or, as we expect Porsche to be churning out a high, high number of LMDHs, would it be a case of the American team coming over to run four cars dispatched from Germany for Le Mans. Don't know. Uh, be interesting to find out which angle they decide to take, but do I expect there to be four cars? Do I expect it to be American plus German? Yes. Do I expect, let's see one of the other questions. Who's going to run it. Don't fully know on the German side would I've heard that there could be a lot of folks wearing, uh, Porsche Penske Motorsport shirts at that, quote, Penske facility. But a lot of them could probably pretty easily uh, put their hand over and cover up the Penske part and just have it say Porsche Motorsport. Um, So we'll find out how they end up staffing that. I think it'd be a little bit strange to just truly hire a fully independent German crew (laughs) to run that program that isn't heavily supported slash staffed. By Porsche Motorsport people, so but we don't know. Uh, these are all things to ask and see if we will be told. Um, I am aware, I think I wrote in my little story at least, that uh, United Auto Sports in mantai were the other two uh, teams that made the the final three. I'd heard about I don't remember the exact timing, it might have been two three weeks ago, Graham, whatever it was, that Porsche had narrowed it down to three was not surprised that it was Pensky um, saw a friend post on Facebook uh, a couple days ago that uh, on his site uh oddly while posting a comment someone had shared the racer story about Porsche and Pensky and uh, on whatever to whatever imsa page and a friend posted saying that on his site uh, they had predicted this in january and I was just like. Fair enough. I think if you went to almost any
1: site, I, 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 you might I, I, have seen the same prediction. In, 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 in July.
0: Uh, yeah, or uh, the, uh, some podcasts. So and I just thought it was a little... It was fun and cheeky and it was cute, but it was just like, I don't know if I'd call oneself. I was like, oh, I nailed it. Where were you, idiots? You were sleeping. No one else thought of Penske and Portia. I'm like, Jesus, okay. Anyways, um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just me being a dick. Um, uh, what else can I throw in here? Oh, uh, so you'll fill in the part about Manti. I do. I don't think that the United Autosports getting close, very close. And I was told they were P two. You know, whatever it was, they were either P two or P three in this decision. I think the fact that they made the final cut for a giant like Porsche should certainly reinforce within McLaren that this is a serious outfit to consider. Should McLaren go forward in 2024? We know they've told us many times, Graham, if LMDH were to happen with McLaren would not be the debut season. It'd be year two, but I think that's a nice little badge of, uh, as many of our listeners say, uh, the all United auto sports classes and whatnot. Um, the success they have in winning everything. So some cool stuff there, the Manti angle I'll admit to knowing nothing about, so you can fill that part in, but yeah, there's a lot to this. There's what I'm waiting for is something from Audi that gives a similar buzz in whether it's team or teams they would work with or something else. It's been interesting how Porsche has, I think stolen the March on uh, momentum, buzz, interest, you name it. Uh, feels like Audi's lurking a little bit, McNish, so get busy.
1: I've heard the Audi thing might be a combination, by the way, of Vandistair um, Racing and possibly level five, but that, that might just be rumor. And by the way, uh, if and when they do announce that, I said this in May. Yeah, so you're yes. it here
0: for- of 2011. That's how freaking good you are. <laughs> uh, Ten years ago, you called it.
1: Oh dear me! First, um, yeah, there's there are a lot of moving pieces, and by the way, with any of those major LMP2, and for that matter, single-seater teams around, uh, all the one, all of those teams that uh, I've had any kind of in-depth conversation with are not just plugging away with one manufacturer, they're plugging away with multiple manufacturers. And in some of those cases, lots of people have made the decision, oh yeah, look, they've got a relationship here. There's been they've run GT cars with this manufacturer. They've had that driver in the car. It really isn't that simple right now. There are so many moving pieces. There's so many more people now putting their gaze across into uh sports car racing that trust me there are going to be some surprises to come. This if it's got to be said was it a surprise it was Penske and Porsche? No, it wasn't. Was it a surprise it was Penske and Porsche in both championships? I'd suggest it was. Yeah. I'd suggest that's the more, the more surprising part of it. That is a major strategic partnership, multi-year partnership um, for those organizations. That, I think, is a surprising part of it. That MP, I think, is the sig- is, is the significant part here for what comes next from the next manufacturers that declare what their plans are. There are going to be some shockers. There are going to be certainly, um, you know, there's going to be some guys left on the left-hand side of the, the hall of the prom that are going to be there left without a dancing partner. And the key thing is, what do they then do? Do they leave the floor? Or do they go away, find the budget, and go and bang heads? That's where true legends are made, isn't it? Where you've got an angry team owner, an angry team financier, concerned that they've not got the glittering factory program, but then decide, you know what? I've got some friends that wouldn't mind going banging heads with Penske. Uh, Let's go and see what we can actually bring out there. And that's when you could get something coming out that's really very interesting that's how you get a properly energized privateer program it's the people who've not been selected in due process you know let's move
0: on well i was just going to say the other thing that i found funny too is we're talking name reputation and trailblazing roger penske is that person here in north america would say that his main rival this is mostly open wheel and Indy car, but his clear number one rival for the past thirty-ish years has been Chip Ganassi, and the Ganassi team will readily say, like, look, he's Penske is always the main main target for us. Not just to beat them on track, but to do everything better than them. Right? They're the they're the standard bearers. Did think it was pretty interesting that. I think we could make the argument, Graham, that if you look at the Ford Chip Ganassi Racing GT program, Penske's pretty much taken that model, right? Going to run the program here in the U.S. from our base, and we're going to set up a base of our own in Europe to administer the European portion of that. Again, it might be one of the few times that the Ganassi folks can say, Ah, so you liked how we did it, Rod. You're following our blueprint. Ah, okay, buddy. So, not saying that that's what Roger did, but it sure at least has the impression that that might be a possibility. There was one other question about would Penske put an extra car on the grid uh, for his IndyCar drivers. Absolutely not, unless there was someone paying for it. Can't see Porsche footing the bill to have Roger's Chevy-powered IndyCar drivers uh, competing for it. We did see in the LMP two days though, when things got pretty tight fighting with Acura for the manufacturer's title that there was a third Penske uh, RS spider that showed up, but again, that was points capturing, not to try and just simply put more of their IndyCar drivers in the field. No,
1: it's not a it's not a race to spend more, is it? It's a race to win more and Um, it's already a mighty commitment from all involved. There's further questions, and and again, it's going to come, I'm sure, under the kind of we don't know what we don't yet know. Uh, Matt Hawkey-Hawkins, with Porsche and Penske lining up for LMDH, do we expect any other OEMs to link up with others? Yes, we do, but we don't know who they are yet. Don't make the assumption, as Matt Hawkey-Hawkins says, with WRT and Audi. Look, are WRT trying to attract the attention of Audi? Yes! They couldn't be trying harder if... They were doing it with flaming torches and a naked on Voss on a grid every weekend, but the reality is, don't assume that's necessarily going to happen. Fantastic start in the LMS, less convincing start in the WEC, and there are other, certainly other organisations that have got, you know, as good, or you might even describe better, uh, qualifications at this point. But yeah, yes, they've got a good chance of being in the mix for whatever comes. We don't yet know either what shape. Uh, that program is going to take for Audi. We don't know. We don't know about the level of concentration between, or the balance rather, between between uh, factory and privateer programs. Neither do we know, what Audi, by the way, will now know, of the level of interest there are from privateer teams looking to run their cars as customers as not, and not as factory teams. So all sorts of real... Intrigue and interest. The the paddocks of the world of motorsports, um, beyond sports car racing, are going to be very interesting places in the next weeks, months, and happily years, because it's not just about 2022 and 2023. It's about 2024 and 2025 as well, because there's going to be much, much more um, coming out of this. You know, just think, I mean, in the last hour or more, MP, we've talked about... You know, a very high profile new factory effort. We've talked about whether or not the technical regulations and the ability to balance the performance of these cars is there. We've talked, you know, in the roundabout a number of other brands that are either declared, but we're not yet sure quite exactly what they're going to declare or haven't yet declared. And there's more still to come beyond that. It is a truly exciting time to be a follower and a fan of this area of motorsport. I can't wait. I just can't wait. I think it's going to be an absolute corker.
0: Anywhere What's else you next? want to go here, brother. Anywhere else you want to go?
1: Uh, here's one. Any DPI twenty twenty two news on the horizon says you and our, our mate, SRA Smoking Pub B eight four one with twenty twenty three looking bright. Are there any potential new entries for DPI in twenty twenty two as things started be the first time since the LMS Grandam merger that had fewer top class entries than the W E C only thing
0: that i heard about and was excited when i heard about it and then checked in and was no longer excited about it was i'd heard that there was a decent possibility of mazda returning next year instead of shuttering the program returning next year to dpi for the four endurance rounds yep not going to happen And the reasons for that make a lot of sense. Again, had hoped that what I'd heard was accurate. Learned that that was just one of many things raised a while ago. So it was a case of my hearing about it far after the fact. But the costs to keep a program going to run in January, March, June, and we'll assume what next year's calendar would be, October. Uh, (laughs) That's not a massive savings uh, compared to doing the full season. Uh, That's a lot of people you need to keep employed full-time who would go to work elsewhere if you didn't. That would also be paying drivers to be more or less full-time because if you're not able to offer them quality money and consistent ability to do the thing that they earn a living from, they will go somewhere else. So love the thought didn't end up getting the green light. And if I were the person being asked to make the decision, I would have said no to it as well, because you're effectively spending most of a full season budget, but just not showing up for more than half the races. So that's the only thing that I heard that could have put one more car on the grid consistently next year. Could there be something that develops? Of course. I have not heard anything to lead me to believe that in the final year of DPI that there's going to be something new coming out of wherever else, or the addition of an extra car that we haven't seen before.
1: It could be interesting, couldn't it? You know, there is a bit of a hashtag wait and see about what we're going to hear from GM and what might happen in preparation for that new program. That, that I think, is possibly the only other avenue that offers that potential, um, but there's an awful lot of, of, of wait-and-see involved. Let's move on. And You mentioned at the top of the show uh, the one of the real feel-good stories of the week, Robert Wickens, and he's testing a P- PCR. It's a PCR? I'm getting oh, boy, obsessed about how you think should. Oh, dear me. Uh, James Counter says, TCR, testing a TCR car is great news. Is there a chance, says James, we could see him doing a series like Michelin Pilot Cup? Chance, I would say yes
0: couple of quick things on this, and I still haven't had a chance to connect with Robert on this. We were meant to speak before he did the Zoom call. That didn't happen. We were meant to speak after the Zoom call. That didn't happen. We'll see if we end up catching up. Uh, Love, Robbie. A little bit fickle. Um, (laughs) It's just what it is. Um, Would say if I'm Hyundai and I'm looking at the amount of, of interest generated, if I'm doing nothing more than tracking social media metrics on Monday and Tuesday of this week, see how many times this story was shared like you named it, how many headlines were found across the sporting world. There might be a suggestion that having Robert Wickens in one of uh, the Brian Auto Autosport entries would be a very good thing for the brand. It'd be a great thing for IMSA. And just overstating the obvious, if I'm IMSA, if I'm Hyundai, I'm talking to one another saying, hi, Robert Wickens, how do we make him ours? (laughs) How do we get him in a car? How do we spend the rest of the year doing Michelin Pilot Challenge? TCR category, a little bit far from the spotlight. That's not something normal for Robbie." But how do we spend the rest of the year getting Robbie fully immersed in hand-control-based competition while talking with manufacturers to see if and how we might have a Robert Wickens in a GTD car next year? GTD Pro, who knows? But how do we get Robbie in immersed, experienced, and then how do we also kick off another initiative to try and get him up to the top? category now i don't think i'm saying anything rude mean or, or revelatory here relation uh, relationatory sure jot that one down jacob Baim. imsa is not exactly suffering from a lot of high profile drivers that attract a ton of people to their events folks come and see the cars folks come and see the competition but there's not a lot of star value there robert wickens has the motor racing world's parts completely captured. And so just being really cold here and saying if I'm a series that wants a bump in whether it's TV, gate attendance, social presence, all the any and all of those things, I think we could say would have a decent uptick. Would it be sustained? I don't know. Would Robbie's 20th race in an IMSA, you know, 20th IMSA race, would that 20th one have as much lift as the first, second, or third? Eh, maybe not. But good lord, uh, your series only gets better with Robbie in it. And even if this was prior to his accident, (laughs) I think the guy was really on the way to being a huge IndyCar star. So, one way or the other, uh, what the guy's doing is pretty darn amazing. His talent is certainly not being uh masked or hidden by the uh the lingering effects of that crazy crash, Graham. So yep. we're looking at best interest of the sport, best interest of Robert Wickens. I do hope that there's been a flurry of conversations uh, over the last day or two since that test to say, okay, <laughs> we gotta make this real. We gotta get him into some motor races.
1: Um how much long have we got on this one MP? I mean, we're got we're
0: at about an hour forty-ish, hour forty-two. So you know we can keep going a little bit longer if you want.
1: Let's let's move on and do a little bit of general and fun if I can find them because they're way down here. I'll let me do a little bit of reading to you. Why? Okay, go
0: for it. Well, it's like. Santa Claus sitting on someone's lap or knee, or hope, mm. hopefully not. Uh, Ors uh, is back, says, what's your take on electric GT? Mm. Could we see some of them at Le Mans? At least as a Garage 56 entry, maybe by 2025. Also, who could be among the first OEMs to commit to electric GT?
1: Maybe Bentley? Okay. Uh, well, it's a present day because we've had the announcement today, something I heard uh, at uh, Spa, uh, that the promoter for the uh, six round, I think that's right. Global electric GT uh, championship from 2023 will be discovery, the discovery channel uh, organization. So, um, that was a competitive tender. I don't know, uh, whether or not that went uh, the whole way. I'd heard certainly, as I say, during the spa race meeting that, uh, SRO were no longer part of that, uh, that competition, but discovery, it will be, um, I think it's, it's good to have something new and good to have something that is relevant in that technology area to GT racing, which has been a growth area in world motorsport. And to my mind, MP, we've discussed it on Week in Sports Cars before, was perhaps a little behind the curve in terms of the technology moving forward for uh, GT racing worldwide. Um, it promises super rapid charging. Uh, change, uh, so there will be pit stops for those cars. Uh, I hope that uh, the lessons are being learned from some of the rather uh, mishandled energy management policies and stunts that have been put in place with Formula E. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Formula E. Um, that It is a whole new game in motorsport, in world motorsports. I, what I want more than anything is for this to be truly relevant and for them to steer as as far away as they possibly can from the gimmicks. If this is going to be uh, something that's aiming to be just the next level down from world championship level, world cup level likely, um, then let's make this relevant to the kind of cars that people aspire to. That's what GT racing has always been about. Let's make this something that could inspire the likes of you or I, should we have the means and the and the will to do it, to go out and knock at the door of our local OEM and buy something that's relevant to what we're seeing racing on our TVs or our computer screens that weekend. So am I yet enthused by it? No. I'm not a massive fan at the moment of electric motorsport. I think they've gone way too far down the gimmick uh, uh, line and not far enough about the relevance line. It's coming closer to that as time moves forward, you should expect. This, I think, together with the ETCR um, uh, championship, is probably closer than anything we've seen so far. I wait with anticipation as to what we're going to see from the organization that brought the world, Eurosport. <laughs>
0: There we go uh john wojnar aka john ranjow who is the informal leader uh did he was it maybe a coup that was placed for him to run the Pruday listener group uh the insane folks who broke out of the in- asylum <laughs> there uh john wojnar sent in something said what are you guys Uh, every day what do you carry every day in your pockets or packs any special pocket knife or tool you insist insist on having with you any lucky charms or souvenirs notepads or recorders or pens for your journalism jobs he says as my uncle fat tony chinetti always told me you can tell a lot about a man by what he has in his pockets
1: you I'll, want to go I'll first? To f- I'll up. go first. Right. So yeah. If it's just my pockets, okay, not my the bag that I carry everywhere when I'm traveling, which, by the way, uh, some years ago I decluttered and um, reduced the weight of that because I carry it a lot. I, I have had. Uh, pretty extended uh, time with trouble with a shoulder injury I suffered uh, riding a bike some while, a while ago. You ride but, a bike uh,
0: in a very strange manner. If you I hurt knew, your shoulders, knew, so
1: it, it, it was it was a it was an overly heavy rucksack uh, that uh, gave me some uh, gave me a, a pretty serious and long lasting injury. But in terms of my pockets, I'm I'm laughing because um, in more recent times, as you'll appreciate from those that follow this uh, this show. Um, closely, you realize there has been uh, an addition to our family so the most uh, often the things you'll find in my pocket are amongst the keys and the wallet and at the moment usually a spare face mask um, are dog treats and crap bags and then
0: you got the husky and then I've got the husky yes
1: <laughs> uh,
0: oh boy John yeah yeah uh. Folks could look at all the nonsense that I bring to a racetrack and just truly wonder if I am having a psychotic episode because it's a lot <laughs> and it's way too much and it's more. So, yeah, to your question of pockets, hmm. Nothing out of the ordinary there. I did for many years carry around a small audio recorder for whatever impromptu interviews I might have uh, while walking around, meaning if I'm just out and about compared to, Oh, I have an interview with so-and-so I need to bring these various items for it. Just talk, not about that, but just walking around would carry around a separate audio recorder because I like the high audio quality. But then I realized, well, this iPhone does things pretty good. Okay. So no need to do that. So the only thing that I bring around, uh, that is newish in recent years is if I'm going to an indie car race, I will try and remember to throw a stack of the Weekend IndyCar stickers in a pocket. And if it's a sports car race, it'll be the Weekend Sports Car stickers. And just fun and cool stuff, Graham, uh, because we're one of a limited number of idiots to do this thing of listener Q&A and, frankly, just modeling what we do after uh, fans of the thing that we happen to also love. It's just really cool to walk around and have it's not a lot of people, but however many number of people say, Hey, Pruitt, you fat ass or whatever it is. Hey, uh," you you interact with somebody real quick and they tell you, Oh, Hey, listen to the show. I just try and give them a sticker or something because if you're going to take time to say, Hey, Pruitt, you fat ass or whatever, uh, I got to walk over and say hello. And if you can't give somebody a little keepsake of appreciation, then, uh, you suck. So that's maybe the only thing I bring around. That's, uh, new-ish uh what it would say about me how's this john at whatever future race we happen to be at together i want you to look at all of the nonsense that i bring and then you need to report back either here well here or the indycar show whatever you need to send in a report for graham to read about the kind of man I am after seeing all <laughs> of the idiocy that I bring with me. And I fear it might be one of the funniest things that uh, we ever get on the show. Uh, B- let's, bust,
1: yeah. Busted Magazine. It's Busted Magazine yes.
0: every time. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah. And if it's Daytona, boy, we're going to have a long conversation. <laughs> uh, where else should we go here, Graham? Uh, Jacob uh, Bain! How could yeah. we have a show without at least some presence of Jacob uh, what's the most unfortunate but hilarious incident in sports car racing that you can recall? <laughs> he says, I called dibs on the 2019 Nürburgring 24 Porsche press photo, the one with tit wank painted on the, uh, on the track right in front of the cars. <laughs>
1: and this is a real uh, thing.
0: We're not being grabbed. We're no, just truly it's describing compl- a real thing.
1: It's completely true. It was uh, It was the uh, all of the... Porsche-supported cars in that particular race and amongst the careful preparation and um, setting up that shot, what they'd not noticed was indeed there was some, uh, how can I put this, uh, yes, there was that. those words written in paint on the road surface in front of the front.
0: The if only they were all cup the- Porsche Cup cars. Uh, <laughs> talking about the <laughs> blank wank there. Uh, yes.
1: So um, uh, one, one springs to mind, and it's my uh, long-time racing friend and journalistic adversary, uh, Martin Short um, at Roll Centre Racing. Martin, fabulous individual, what a character! Uh, never sh- we- we're never, pardon the pun, short of a story. Um, but could be as during a race weekend quite an intense character. And I think I'm right that this was during the period of time where they were running or at that stage attempting to run the then new radical sr9 lmp2 car and martin will as is his one if, if anybody he hears about this and so correct me if i'm wrong because he always does and i often am um, but they were there with the judd powered car i think i'm right and they were struggling to get this thing to the point of reliability and there'd been a problem uh, i can't remember where this was but there'd been a problem with the car uh, pretty intense uh, crew had been working hard to get the car ready. Um, tempers were quite high. Martin, as was his want, would always take the car out for its first run. Uh, the systems check um, was not in the best of moods, it's fair to say. Uh, everybody's ready. Everything's buttoned down. The car is ready to be fired up in the garage. Um, presses the starter button. But instead of pressing the starter button, hit the hit the fire extinguisher button instead. And the only sound in that garage was Martin swearing copiously into his helmet. Um, it was one of the. It was I, I can't describe that moment. It was both hilarious and horrifying, both at the same time. Um, it was one of those. Uh, But I'm sure you've got a million and one more, MP.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I'm thinking of one, and I apologize. I'm forgetting the where and when. But I do remember being somewhere for a test, and one of the teams just a little bit down from us had apparently put their car on the ground with the wheels on. The little small devices that you spin to hold the wheels on might not have been part of that Ah. and driver climbs in the car does, as you mentioned, fire up, didn't hit the extinguisher button starts driving away. And I don't believe all the wheels came off rolling down pit lane, but it was one of those. Stop, stop, stop. Like I had no idea what was going on Was focusing on my own car. All of a sudden, I hear this panic. Stop, stop, stop. We all look to the left, and you see every single crew person running after this car, trying to get the person to stop uh, while the wheels are doing this kind of wobbly space uh, space, uh, shift into outer space type wobble. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was very bad. And I don't believe the wheels were usable after that because the uh, the threaded studs had augured their way uh, there. So yeah, that was one um, hell. Oh, I can add.
1: I can add one. I can add one. Um, and I again can't remember where this was. You might remember this one, but I do recall uh, Malcolm Cracknell getting a call from Pit Lane. I believe from Gary Horrocks, who was then our LMS correspondent, and this was an Intersport. Car the MG EX257, which uh, lived on into junkyard dog spec uh, with all sorts of uh, replacement bits and pieces. And I think by then had been converted to a Judd. And bless them, I don't. I think it's fair to say that they had something of a record for not necessarily going back to the factory for their carbon repairs. I think that would be fair. Um, and the car had come off the jacks. There was a bang and then everybody looked very depressed because the car had literally broken in half. Oh, my goodness. You remember this one? I remember hearing about it. Uh, Gary watched it happen, I believe, and it it was a repair that had failed, thankfully, disastrously, whilst the car was stationary, and the car snapped in half on pit lane.
0: Oh, good Lord. Well, we don't want to burden people with a two-hour-plus podcast. Oh, so, no. shall we pick one more and answer it in 30 seconds, or say farewell?
1: I'm going to pick one more, uh, just because uh, there's been a bit of an exchange with this uh, this fellow about this particular um, person of awesomeness, and it comes from Michael Zalavari, Michael Zed Floodman. Um, what's Henri Pescarello's biggest achievement? He says, the dude is a badass in more ways than should be possible. I'll, I'll add this um it's a story I, I told when i spoke to mal uh, to to, to michael i think he has the longest personal association with a single event than just about any other man alive in terms of direct involvement back to the late 60s as a driver missed one race after barrel rolling the car in flames which is you know the scars of that incident i think that was 68 or 69 while well, straight line testing uh with him to this day uh as a driver through into the nineties, then as a team owner and then as a constructor missing one year. And it was a sad sight to see Henri not uh, down on pit lane, but as a, I believe you sports, um, uh, pundit and then came back. Thanks to Jacques Nicolet and his friends for one final, uh, year. But, um, I <sighs> just an awesome character. My favorite story with, with Henri, was at the time when he had a realistic shot of winning the Le Mans 24 hours and, and was winning races as well in the Le Mans series, uh, was having to call him at the end of the year. I remember his wife Maddie uh, answering the phone and passing the phone to the great, the great man and me telling him and asking for a quick reaction that he'd been voted by our readers as our Man of the Year for that particular year. And he was incredulous, Marshall. He said, "But, but you are an English website. I'm, I'm French. You know." He had literally zero idea, no idea at all, at that stage in his career, that he was held in such high regard by people outside his home nation. I mean, a truly humble man um, that achieved enormous things with very, very little. Uh, uh, an extraordinary guy. You're absolutely right, Michael. An absolutely awesome character. He was an absolute badass in the car uh, all the way through. And, you know, may he live uh, long and continue to prosper in Star uh, Star Trek uh, parlance. But, um, yeah, uh, I know so many people that just worship the guy uh, for his achievements on track and in the garage. I don't know if you've got anything specifically about Henri, but that's my memory of him is that very personal moment.
0: No, we'll leave that there. I'm uh, going to hand off to you to close the show, Graham. Want to make a quick note, though, for those of you silly enough to still be listening. There was one key item I'd hoped we would have time to get to this week. We didn't, and getting to it involved getting to it properly. There's so much new things happening in terms of things for the present and future with hypercar launching, Penske and Porsche, et cetera, et cetera. We did not have time to do a proper Oliver Gavin, you oh. badass of badasses, We'd love you. We're not saying farewell to you, but you did indeed say farewell uh, to the cockpit for next week. Uh, I'd like assuming something else crazy doesn't happen in terms of new and timely stuff. I would like to open the show with listener, maybe daily sports car reader, you name it. Mm-hmm. Would love to open the show with some Oliver Gavin best memories. Daniel Summersgill asks about that. And I, that was yep. something I was hoping for us to get into just, again, we're not going to do that uh, in a short amount of time because Ollie deserves all the time we can afford. So would like to maybe open the show next week and just ask for those who are still listening that when the call goes out and we'll note it there in the call uh, for questions, Give us your Ollie memories because, yeah, that guy just deserves uh, as much love as folks uh, are willing to give. So, Graham,
1: all yours. I'll close the show. Uh, just to end, end with one quick thought about Ollie, I had uh, the uh, the good fortune to actually see the 52-minute show that we'll be putting out for the FIWEC, and they did catch Ollie as he got out of the car for the final time. It was a very emotional moment. It, it does pay tribute to him in that moment. So sad uh, that he didn't have the opportunity to be recognised by the fans uh, at Spa in that final race but he knows I think how much we all you know, have admired his career love him dearly as a professional as, a, as just an awesome person but for now we'll wait for next week for that um, thanks very much indeed for listening in to what's been a longer than usual uh, Week in Sports Cars podcast with me Graham Goodwin, with him Marshall Pruitt, we're going to say thank you again to Cooper Tyres to the awesome Justin Brothers and Toronto Motorsports.com. we'll be back next week I think I hope I'll still be in the UK for that one I might by then be in Austria uh, but uh, this has been Marshall Pruitt Graham Goodwin the weekend sports cars part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast as we approach the 5th anniversary tune in next week